Hello and welcome to the Emotional Work Podcast where we take a deep dive into the human condition. Um, and today's episode is an Emotion at Work stories episode. Um, and my guest today is talking about the gift of being a highly sensitive person. Now, being a highly sensitive person is something that affects, it's reported to affect 15 to 20% of the population. Um, and during this episode, we'll be diving into my guest Gemma's personal journey as a highly sensitive person and exploring how she's navigated the corporate world before transitioning into her own business now as a positive psychology practitioner. Um, so we'll talk about that kind of journey of self-discovery. And more importantly, I think, it's, um, I, don't, I don't want to speak on Gemma's behalf, more importantly for Emma, thinking about how that has helped to be more authentic and how others and their research into um, higher high sensitivity has influenced Gemma's path along the way. So that um, you know, she feels like she's in a place now of using positive psychology and emotional regulation tools um, that's allowed Gemma to thrive. So I think fans of the podcast will will notice some themes in, in some of the areas that we're going to look at today with some previous episodes as well. Anyway, enough from me. Let's get our guest on the air. So I'd love to welcome to the Emotion at Work podcast, Gemma Sandwell. Hello, Gemma. Hi, Phil. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and talk about this topic. And thank you for that great introduction. Oh, you're very welcome. And thank you so much for being here. I, I remember when we had our um, our kind of initial conversation um, before we get, began the recording and, and you were explaining um, about uh, the, the the highly sensitive person, I, I don't know, would it be a phenomena, I guess? Um, yeah. uh, and uh, it was something that was completely new to me, so I was absolutely fascinated to hear about it then and, and I, think, uh, I think our listeners will be as well today. So, yeah, I'm really excited about our episode. Yeah, me too. Really excited to be here. Thank you. Okay. All right. So uh, what I'd like to do next then is move into uh, our innocuous yet unexpected question, which is something that, that we ask all of our guests. And I haven't told you what I'll get, what the question is today. No, have I haven't. I? I'm very intrigued. <laughs> wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, so what I'm wondering um, uh, for you then, Gemma, is what makes a good driver? What for what you makes a good driver? driver? Yeah. As in driving a car? Or a vehicle, I suppose I would say. It doesn't have to okay. necessarily be a car. A it could be, yeah, okay. let's go for a vehicle. So oh. what makes a good driver of a vehicle? That's a good question. As somebody who failed five driving tests, that is a very good question. Oh, did um, you really? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, all, it actually all came back to being highly sensitive, interestingly enough. But, um, ah, okay. Yeah. So what makes a good driver? I would say... Um, like someone who's quite conscientious and um, aware has an awareness of like what's going on around them um, and yeah is able to kind of spot I'm sort of like it's, it's making me think of like the theory test you know how mm. quickly can you click and spot that you know there's a potential danger so yeah being aware having that kind of awareness I guess of what's going on um, and being able to respond um, quite quickly to that I would say um that would be my description of a Wonderful. yeah that's that's what i would say yeah okay so <laughs> that consci- was a difficult question actually i was like oh <laughs> it's okay uh so uh so conscientious um spotting hazards and, and spotting danger uh responding quickly um and uh there was one that you said in in the in between conscientious and spotting hazards which i did write down but my writing is so poor I can't. Uh, is it I awareness? Can't. I think I it was aware? awareness. Yes, it's definitely yeah. got a W in it. Yeah. I can see a W in the writing. <laughs> uh, okay, so conscientious awareness, and then using that awareness to spot highlights in danger, and then responding quickly. Yeah. Okay. So I think um, 
So I think for me, um, I'd agree with all of those, and and I would add, um, I would add focused. I think, yeah. Um, and and maybe that's um, maybe for me that's about um, focused in terms of uh, what kind of what's going on around them, and a bit like the awareness bit that you were you were describing as well. But also, I think for me it's about being focused on uh on on the goal of, of where i'm getting to um so so for me i don't i i i don't like meandering if that makes sense so if i'm if i'm driving i want to kind of know where i'm going and i want to get there not not in a not necessarily in, in i mean sometimes it's in a rush because often I'm, I'm a bit last minute um but i think it's about kind of being uh yeah being focused and, and kind of knowing where you're going which I, I'm conscious I do find tricky sometimes when either for myself if I'm driving in a new place because I feel like I want to be more focused than I am so if I have to like if I'm in the wrong lane or if I'm not um you know if I, if I don't exactly know where I'm going and I'm and I'm kind of sort of dithering what I would call dithering at a junction in terms of going which way do I need to go um I find I, uh, I I don't like that in myself sometimes. I think um, I know so. exactly what you mean. There's nothing nothing worse is there than realizing you're in a roundabout and you need to be three lanes over, <laughs> sort of somewhere driving somewhere new. So yeah, that's a good yeah, good addition absolutely. there. Yeah. Thank you. So you, you mentioned then that um, that you uh, that you failed five. To, well, you passed on your sixth attempt. Would that be fair? and as you look back on it then um, you say that was in part to do with being a highly sensitive person so do you want to tell me more about that yeah um, so this will kind of I, I guess become a bit more apparent as we talk about the highly sensitive person but um, the reason I actually did a post on this on LinkedIn the other day and the, the reason it took me that many um, attempts was because I was so sensitive to the exam environment that I would um Mm. I would do like amazing lessons and then the nerves would kick in and I would do something silly like it was usually little things like I would hit a curb or um I think three of the tests I wasn't driving fast enough (laughs) I was actually like under speeding um Mm. and it was just yeah all of these little things and it wasn't until um, and I had two instructors and my first instructor was very much like, this is the process. This is what we do in these lessons. And I would say, oh, I'm not quite comfortable with bay parking. He'd be like, well, this is what we're going to do in this lesson. It was very structured. Whereas the second instructor got to know me and got to understand who I was sort of throughout that process. And, mm. um, and he would say to me, you want to practice 10 bay parks? Feel free. That's what you need to feel comfortable. Mm. And, um, he soon came to realise, you know, especially after sort of like four or five tests, that my nerves were getting in the way. So he actually, um, he took me to this car park. He let me do as many bay parks as I wanted. He went and bought me a cup of tea from those like when those little burger van things that they have in, you know, like in supermarket car yeah, parks yeah. and things. He bought me a cup of tea and he got me doing breathing exercises before my exam. And then I passed. Um, and I passed with like four minors. So, it, yeah, it really was transformative. And there's just something in that as a metaphor for like being seen for like who mm. we are and what it is that we actually need to help us succeed at something. So, yeah, full, you know, full credit to him and him seeing me um, and realising what it was that I needed and having to have that different type of instruction. I feel like that's a, like that could be a metaphor for all sorts of things in life, really. Um, yeah, 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 it was mainly about, you know, that support of authenticity, really. Oh, what a fantastic story. 
and, and now I'm now I'm free I can drive myself places <laughs> this was many years ago but um yeah it makes you appreciate that freedom even more I think when you have to go through that okay okay um so maybe we for I guess for the listeners benefit maybe we should we should start to look at some I don't know definitions might be a little bit formal but but exploring what what some of the you know, the terminology that we've used so far is so we talked about um uh, the gift of being a highly sensitive person um and that it affects sort of 15 to 20 percent of the population um and so what what is um being a highly sensitive person yeah great question phil so um the real basics of it are is that in our brain um as highly sensitive people so 15 to 20 percent of the population simply have more sensory receptors in their brain so there's more receptors in the brain, which means that in um, in different, even everyday situations, we're going to be picking up on more things because we've simply got more sensory receptors. Hmm. Um, so, you know, this could be, you know, picking up on, um, and for anyone listening, you know, this might resonate, you know, the, the TV's on, the phone's ringing, the dog's barking, the radio's on. Um, you know, that can that can very easily, like we can very easily get overwhelmed. Um, mm-hmm. And that just comes back to that simple fact that there's simply more sensory receptors in our in our brains um, is, is all it is. So that's kind of like the main definition. Um, Elaine Aaron is the psychologist who coined the term. Um, and there is a, um, I think we're going to share it in the show notes, but there is a, a test that you can take, um, mm. which basically works on that concept, um, you know, ask you questions around overwhelm and um, we also have a depth of processing as well because of those extrasensory um, abilities. Um, mm-hmm. Like we process information on a, on a deeper level as well. So, you know, the, the test, um, if anyone's listening and is, is curious, the test does um, cover off those elements as well. Sort of like, you know, what like what do you pick up? How overwhelmed do you get? And, um, you know, do you, you know, get moved by music or art? Or, you know, there's that level of, of depth that comes with it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like um, uh, you almost read my mind for for a moment there, or maybe it's your highly sen- maybe it's your high sensitivity. Because um, <laughs> just before you mentioned it, I wrote down a question about breadth or depth. Um, yeah, so is it is it like a is it a breadth of of sensory awareness in terms of, as you mentioned, you know the TV, the phone, um, outside noise, inside noise, um, other things that might be happening, and or is it like the 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 depth of this of the sensing that goes with it but it sounds like it can be either or both yeah it can be either or both so like the depth can come in um can come in on a sort of you know human to human level so I was you know I was before I knew this stuff like I was finding there'd just be these little just nuances of difference in somebody's behavior um uh-huh. and I would just know like on some level, my senses would have just picked up on like a little cue that something wasn't quite right with that person. Um, so it can be things like that where, you know, other like non-highly sensitives might might have missed that. Um, but sometimes we kind of might just pick up on that little, like, oh, something's just, it's almost like a feeling, like something's a bit off here. And it's just because our senses are just picking up on on something that's slightly different. And we can't always put it into words. And we can't always say exactly what it is, but it's just that slight little nudge that there's something else going on. That's that's kind of how it um it used to really um 
come out for me, especially in the workplace, actually, before I knew, I, I always used to think, I always know when there's something wrong with someone, <laughs> even if they've not said anything. So, yeah. And and how did you find out that, that this was a gift that you had? Yeah, so um, it wasn't until my early 30s. Um, I, so I always, I always sort of, I always felt like as a child, um, I always felt like I had something wrong with me. I felt quite different to the other children. Um, I had, my mum was quite an extrovert. So she used to sort of, you know, take us out lots of places and do lots of things. And I used to quite struggle with that. And I, and a lot of the time, like once I'd been at school, that was enough for me. I used to just want to come and like run up the garden and play in the garden or play in my room on my own. And um, I was sort of quite naturally sort of regulating myself then. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I, so I always felt like I was oversensitive. I was told many times, you're too emotional, you're too sensitive. Um, you know, man up, woman up, whatever, like whatever the phrase was. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I used to get told that all the time. And then it was in my early 30s and I was listening to a podcast. Um, it was um, Nikki Eisenhower, um, emotional badass. I can't, I can't say that with a without a US accent. And she was talking about, well, of course, this is part of being HSP. And she kept saying this HSP phrase. And I thought, what is this? And I knew up to this point, I knew I was an introvert. So a couple of years before I did my TEDx, um, a friend of mine had done a TEDx. And she'd quite openly said, you know, I, I'm not going to the networking meal. And I won't be working, watching the other talks because I'm an introvert. And I need to recharge my energy to get on that stage. And that's okay. And I was like wow, that's okay. So I'd already mm. sort of been through, I think, the journey that a lot of us introverts go through of like, it's okay that I recharge and need alone time. Um, but it was like something more than that. And hearing that those words on that podcast was like, hang on, this sounds like me. I need to research this further. So mm. um, off I went onto Google and I was like, what is HSP? And that's when I came across the work of Elaine Aaron. And I ordered Elaine's book straight away. And you know, when you... Um, when you order on Kindle, you, you can read it instantly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got straight on it and I started reading it. And Elaine was telling a story, um, which I will, I'll share a bit about my story in a moment. And I read Elaine's story and I was just, I just got this like feeling of chill and my chills in my body. Mm. Um, because it was all about Elaine when she was a child um, and how she used her HSP gifts. And it almost mirrored almost exactly my story. And it just, I just remember this moment of like this chill, like in my whole body. And it just, it's just this complete truth that this was me. Um, And yeah, and it just started to explain everything. And I read the, I started to read more on highly sensitive children um, and, you know, how this plays out, you know, at school. And, um, and it just had started to explain my whole life. Um, And I'd had for, for many years in my corporate career um I was working in London and I was in this um I was in this like um this loop with London um because I was I was spending a lot of time there and I was having to be there for work and I would find myself with these feelings of anxiety um and I kept going to I kept going to therapy um I kept I kept like trying to heal it I kept saying, right, what is the, you know, what trauma do I have that links to London? Like, why? And and week and week again, I'd go back, I'd feel anxious, 
Um, I'd struggle in London, I'd cry on the train home and it became this like repeating process and I I spent a significant amount of money Mm. um, and time trying to heal it. But as soon as I realised I was a highly sensitive person, it was like, oh my goodness, I just need to give myself some recharge time. Um, London is very overstimulating. I just I just need to work around my natural self and what I need. And when I started to do that and I started to plan more, um, you know, more like walks in parks while I was in London, you know, I would, mm. I would um, really take care of myself around being there. Um, it transformed that whole experience for me. So, um, yeah, it was it was quite mind blowing because I think a lot of us kind of we feel like there's something wrong with us or, you know, why why do we have this anxiety? And for me, it it wasn't anxiety or a lot of it wasn't even my anxiety. I was just picking up the hustle and bustle of London with my sensory receptors in my brain mm. um, and it was pushing me into overwhelm and it wasn't anything I needed to fix so that I could push myself through London continuously on this loop I was on. It was like having that acceptance and and thinking about what it was that I authentically needed. Wow. So is it helpful if I talk a little bit about my, my childhood story here as well? Um, um, I'm just wondering if that's... Really yeah, relevant. so I, I think so. I think uh, so. I, I, so I'm going to say yes for a couple of different reasons. One, you suggested it, and, and you're the you know this, this is your your episode, so um, I think it'd be a good thing to do. Uh, two is um, I think it, it gives useful context, um, and I think uh, one of the things I, w- I was I guess I was I was wondering or I was thinking is as you were sharing um, your experiences there was. Um, I guess the qu- a question in my mind, and, and I'm not asking you to answer this now. I guess I'm, I'm sharing it so that we can, so that we and the listener can think about it as, as we hear as we hear the story. Is where does kind of the the to what extent is is being a highly sensitive person? Person is there a, is there some kind of nature like evolutionary part of it? Is there is or is it around the the nurture and the life experiences that you have? Because you mentioned, for example, about you know, sometimes you were told there was something wrong with you that you were too emotional, or, um, or you were too this or not enough that. Um, and similarly, you know, I guess with with the London component, you've got the the environment around you potentially is affecting you there. So, I guess it, yeah, it's it leading me to think, oh, how much of of, of of having that gift of HSP is is some you know is is it nature? Is it is it nurture? Um, so again, I'm not necessarily asking you to answer that question now. It's, it was I'm sharing it because it was something that was uh, that I was reflecting on as you were sharing your story. Yeah, that's a great question, um, and I will. I will probably be able to cover that actually. So in my my story, yeah, go on then, um, please. Yeah, so I'll give the I'll give the like, I'll give the kind of um, sciencey view on it if you like, which is that um, I I believe, and from my research I've done so far, I believe it is a combination of both. Mm-hmm. So um, traumatic experiences can create more sensory receptors in the brain. Um, equally, some of us are just born with sensory receptors in the brain. Um, which I believe I was after kind of interviewing my family, <laughs> sort of interviewing okay. my family yeah. after reading the book. Um, and I was apparently a very sensitive baby. So um, 
Yeah, so how this played out for me as a child... Sorry, Gemma, um, I, I, yeah. I know I'm interrupting with something I, re- I do really, really rarely. Um, and the reason I'm doing it is to say, for the listener, is, is there some kind of, um, I don't know, sort of warning or, or context we need to give around the, the story that might follow? Because you mentioned the word trauma a couple of times, so I just want to make sure that, you know, from a listener point of view, is, is there something we need just to give them a heads up so that if they wanted to kind of skip through or, or be aware of is there something we might want to say before we before we go into the story yes i will yeah i will just signpost um this is a story um which could have been quite traumatic um and links to carbon monoxide poisoning okay. um so yeah if, if anyone has any kind of triggers or traumas around that then this is this is a kind of trigger warning i guess for those listening Wonderful. And then for the listener, then what we'll do in the show notes is we'll put some timestamps as to when Gemma's story begins and when Gemma's story finishes so that um, you can kind of s- skip to to the points where, where you missed the story, if that's something that would, would work for you. Sorry, Gemma, I, I'm really conscious no, I interrupted you then. I'm sorry. No, that's, I think that's a great idea, Phil. Thank you for thank you for reminding me about that. Um, yeah, so my my story about this, which actually I had I had actually forgotten, it was only when I was regressed through hypnotherapy that this came back to me um and just really it just really explained the whole hsp piece um mm-hmm. so when i was eight years old i was on holiday in a caravan in kent with my family and um it had been quite a traumatic holiday up to that point anyway because my my sister was a very poorly child and so you know we, she was always getting sick on holiday and we were having to you know find a chemist and yeah it was oh, it was sorry. quite stressful up to that point anyway um and I remember very clearly the first night in the caravan um I had to sleep in bunk beds with my sister which um she was refusing to have the bottom bunk and we were sort of fighting over it and um (laughs) and there was just you know no backing down from her point her point so um I was um I was cramped in this sort of bottom bunk like looking up at the bed above me never slept in bunk beds before um finding it quite an interesting experience anyway hmm. and um and I remember laying there about to go to sleep and just having this overwhelming feeling that something was wrong and I can even remember like my eight-year-old self kind of trying to justify it and, and just saying you know it's just because you're you know you've never slept in bunk beds before that's all it is you know I'm sort of trying to calm myself down um, hmm. whether my you know my thoughts were that adult in terms of what I'm saying but you know that's kind of um, but it was just, oh, it just got stronger and stronger and stronger. And then I could smell a smell. And I was just like, something is not, something is wrong. And this, I just had this overwhelming voice within me saying, danger, like, this is not safe. You shouldn't go to sleep. You mustn't let, you mustn't let your family fall asleep. Um, and of course, like, I'd never, I'd never had like this experience mm. before. I didn't know what to do with it. Um, and it got so strong that I started to scream and cry and um, wake my parents up. And I just kept saying over and over, there's something wrong, there's something wrong, there's something wrong. Um, I can't go to sleep. We can't go to sleep. We're not safe. So I kind of repeated this this process over and over. Mm. Um, I think eventually it was kind of a process of about two hours in the end of like my parents saying, you know, everything's OK, everything's safe you know, go back to bed, they check the doors were locked and, you know, like all the things that parents would do, mm-hmm. um, you know, reassured me. Um, and I just remember like this feeling being so strong that I didn't care. I did not care and I was screaming. Um, and 
eventually, after two hours of screaming, um, my mum said to my dad, look, I think maybe something is wrong because we just can't, just can't calm her down. She's adamant. Mm. Um, can you go and get like, I think there was like some maintenance, a maintenance crew or security on the campsite. Okay. Will you just go and get them? Because my mum then really started to worry. Um, so the maintenance guy came over and he checked over the caravan and he, I can like, I was only through regress, being regressed to this memory. Um, he stood there and his face went white and he said, I have no idea how your eight-year-old daughter knows this. Um, but actually, if you had have gone to, gone to bed, you wouldn't have woken up in the morning um, because there is significant carbon monoxide leaking into your caravan. Wow. And everyone was shocked. Um, I, I, I don't even know how I felt after that because I don't remember beyond that. Mm. Um, but I think it, I don't think it was then ever really talked about. Um, I think it was very traumatic for the whole family. Um, I don't think anyone ever really understood, including myself, how I knew. <laughs> mm. Um, and yeah, like I think I really freaked out the poor maintenance guy because it was just like, I can remember him like white as a sheet. Mm. Um, and yeah, it wasn't until I had hypnotherapy, um, in my early thirties that this, that I was regressed and this memory came back and I was able to actually go back and talk to my parents about what, you know, what had happened and was my memory right that had come back. And, um, and yeah, it was, um, and they, you know, they still say to this day, I don't know how you knew that, but you were so adamant that eventually we listened to you because you were screaming. It is not safe. Mm. Um, and I don't want to like spoil the surprise. Um, not that it's a very nice surprise, but obviously if you read Elaine Aaron's book, um, you'll hear a very similar story um, in her childhood. Right. Um, and she was able to also save her family in a very similar way, um, which she wouldn't have been able to do, or she not HSP and having those additional, um, those additional senses on picking up on something like where you can't specifically say what it is, but you just know that something is not right. Mm. Wow. And and how how were your parents? So you mentioned that mm. um, it wasn't really talked about again, and then and then you went to to approach the approach it once you had um, the hypnotherapy. How were your how were your parents when when you wanted to to approach it? I guess it, as as an adult or, or or more recently, I'm not quite sure which frame to use. But you know, when you wanted to when you wanted to revisit after you'd had that um, that hypnotherapy, how how were your parents about that? Yeah, they were they were okay talking about it. Um, I I I still think they they can't really explain it. Um, and they they're very grateful. Um, but we still yeah we still we 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 talked about it at that point in time hmm. um but yeah I think they still find it hard to get their heads around it because <laughs> it's because it's just something you can't really you can't really explain like they still to this day can't explain how I knew hmm. um so I think that's I think that's quite tricky for people isn't it like wanting some kind of logic oh well you know there must have been this or there must have been that or there must have been you know, people want to kind of logic their way like into it. And um, there wasn't really um, 
a lot of logic in that situation because it was a feeling because it was a knowing um so yeah it was quite a it's quite a tricky topic to discuss but they're obviously very grateful mm-hmm. um but we just you know it was just never really spoken about again i think because it was so traumatic um yeah which was um yeah, yeah. but you know it, it showed me that you know that is the kind of typical reaction of someone who is who is hsp and you asked me earlier phil about the um the evolutionary and i didn't answer yeah, that yeah. question like that is the evolutionary advantage so um what elena's found in her research is that 15 to 20 percent of all mammals are highly sensitive okay and that is because the high sensitivity in a tribe um it actually helps the tribe to thrive because the HSPs in the tribe are on the lookout for danger. So they'll be the ones kind of at the at the edge of the tribe or up the hill, you know, spotting the spotting the danger, spotting the incoming danger, sensing the danger before it's there, keeping the tribe safe. Um, so it's actually a um an evolved evolutionary advantage mm. um in having that 15 to 20 percent of the tribe who are there to um protect the rest of the population. And this is um this is how I see it um playing out in the workplace as well Mm, um so this is like this has certainly been my experience um and you know with some of my clients that I've worked with as well and I've seen it kind of play out in the in the team so the likelihood is in your you know in your workplace there's going to be 15 to 20 percent of the people that are highly sensitive so I used to work um it just so happened to to be this way um I used to spot those nuances in people's Mm behaviour. And then I would be able to, like when I was working, before I had my own team, when I was working in a team, I would then go to my manager and say, oh, I think this this person, I'd almost be like, I almost like got this kind of like um, middleman kind of (laughs) grand like role between like my manager and the team because I was kind of spotting things. And I was either either dealing with them, and at, at some at some points in time, I had various different leadership experiences throughout my time in corporate. And you know, sometimes where there was some emotional intelligence lacking, um, I was stepping into that role in the team, and I was you know I was the emotional support because I saw the nuances, I I could see what was going on, I could feel what was going on. So you know, do not underestimate those listening, the HSPs in your team, like they're probably already like doing a lot and you're not necessarily seeing it um but they're going to be there spotting it um probably being emotional support um because one of the things that we have to go through as hsps is around boundaries we, we learn the hard way and the lessons mm. there um you know they're probably already there on the front line like providing the emotional support and and the hsps need support as well because they're you know going above and beyond like just very naturally because they're feeling and responding um to what is going on so you know that's why it really is is a gift um you know you might spot like say you're you know you're having an important meeting with a supplier the hsp might might just spot oh something i felt felt a little bit off there you know and just spot something that someone else might not spot or even you know the building's on fire you know the hsp are probably the first one to smell the smoke and press the fire alarm so you mm. know it could be even like even a, a, a safety um no safety advantage in many ways um this might uh, this might sound a bit of a strange question so uh, a lot of the examples that we've that we've worked through there um from from sharing the story from your childhood which you know, appreciate so much you sharing thank you 
um, through to the examples that you you, know, you talked about more from a workplace point of view, maybe where you were that 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 kind of go between, or you were that barometer for how the team or individuals w- within it were feeling. And, and I guess within that, then, we're, and the different emotions that we maybe have, you know, described might be fear when we're talking about the danger, or maybe sort of sadness or frustration when we do, when we talk about overwhelm. Um, but how does something like happiness show up then for somebody with, with HSP? So is that is that high degree of sensitivity um, there, kind of irrespective of the of the emotion, as it were? So, you know, when when for example, when you feel happiness, do you feel it equally as in, in, intensely or as equally as deeply as as you might you know, feel that that concern for one of your colleagues or you know that that threat for, that threat of harm to your family? Yeah, that's a great question, Bill. And um, this is something that I have to remind myself of, which I imagine (laughs) those listening may also need to remind themselves of, um, which is, yeah, we feel that we feel like we could look at a painting and this is, you know, this this is different, like authentically, like what everyone kind of feels. But Hmm. I was um, I was at a festival last year um, and I was watching example during the day and everyone was jumping up and down and I was like oh yes and I could feel the like euphoria of the crowd Mm. um everyone was happy the sun was shining it was during the day the festival later that night was not such an HSP friendly place because like that's you know that's another story but you know during the day the sun was shining like everyone was happy and having a good time and I just really felt those feelings so deeply um, and I was like, yes, this is the highs of being an HSP. Um, this is it. Um, going to, um, you know, going to things like the Pride Parade, like things that are, yeah, high energy, um, positive energy. Like, yeah, we feel that more deeply as well. Like, um, you know, going to the theatre. I remember, you know, crying my eyes out watching The Lion King at the yeah, theatre. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, feel like feeling those positive feelings, Um more strongly as well so yeah it's not just negative it's it's all emotions we're and we're sometimes like amplifying it back as well um so you know if if we're around somebody and they're like a one out of ten happy we might feel it as a three out of ten and amplify that back mm-hmm. um so um this is like this is another actually interesting point is that um distinguishing what's ours and what isn't um is a really like is a full-time job as an hsp (laughs) it's you know i constantly have to ask myself that question is this mine you know if it's positive obviously it doesn't matter um but you know if i wake up and i'm having feeling a little bit grumpy it's like is this mine and then it might be like oh i went and did that thing with that person yesterday oh i think i'm sort of still feeling their emotions so yeah is it mine is a really great question because we do feel everything and we may even amplify that feeling and 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 i guess there's a there's a risk that um so my, my intent with what i'm going to say next is, is to build on what you've said um and and then as i formed the sentence in my head i thought i could be it could be heard as though i'm uh, being dismissive of what you said and that that's not my intent the intent is, is to build um I, I think that that advocacy that you've just given there of thinking is this mine um, that's something that I I would advocate for for everyone, um, you know, HSP or or you know if you have the gift of HSP or, or not, um, because emotions are so contagious 
um, mm. you know, emotions are, are catching. I remember I used to one of one of the the, the projects I worked on for for a while. I was working as a consultant, but working within a business for a long period of time. I think I was there for like thirteen months, um, and I could see the I, I could see and to a certain degree feel the emotions spread around the office depending on how the Monday morning weekly trading call had gone. So if the trading if the trading the week before had been good, then I could I could see and and, and feel the the ripple of the emotion coming out of the the room because the way the the way the the uh, the the space was organised was there was a a glass um not not like not floor to ceiling glass but there was a there was a glass walled meeting room in the middle of the office where invariably the senior team meetings would happen in particular the trading meeting would happen on a on a Monday morning. Um, and and you could see, depending on what was happening in the trading meeting, how those emotions were almost kind of pulsating out across, um, sort of like across the office, as it were. Um, and so, because emotions are so contagious, I think that that kind of sense check to, and I'm now very acutely aware of using the word sense check. Anyway, that sense check, mm-hmm. um, you know, to yourself around, is this is this feeling that I'm feeling mine or how much of this feeling that I'm feeling is mine and how much of this feeling might be from from others or from from somewhere else um because as you say we don't necessarily have to hold on to things that that might not be ours as it were yeah that's a great reflection and I could almost like imagine that as like a Mexican wave of like rippled emotion going through the office and that's certainly something that I've experienced in in corporate as well and you know sometimes it's even just like the you know the glass walled meeting room and the facial expressions you know yeah exactly <laughs> does this yeah, yeah. Is, is this going to reflect on my bonus or you know oh am I is my job safe or you know those little nuances of like expression um so there feels like there's two things in there Phil like one is yeah like is this emotion mine and is it my like responsibility to do something with or not and then there's almost like a, a responsibility piece of like being really conscious of this emotional contagion and, you know, especially as leaders, um, how we're not in a toxically positive way, but in an authentic way, mm-hmm. how do we create a, you know, a, a, a space where there are more positive emotions over negative emotions? Because we know from the research that more positive workplaces are more thriving workplaces. And, you know, it even links into, you know, Sean Acor has found um, it even links to an increase in sales when workplaces have more positive emotions. So I feel like there's something in there as well around, like, is it mine? But also, what is the responsibility to create those more positive emotions in that environment as well? Obviously, like holding both and having that authenticity, um, but with that awareness of that emotional contagion, which is maybe then where the HSPs can can be the kind of barometers of the office, if you like. Yeah. Yeah, wonderful. Um, so, so I think there's a potential link into. So, in my introduction, I, I talked about your, you know, your work as a positive psychology practitioner, and I think we, uh, the, what we've just been discussing there, might be a useful, um, uh, a useful kind of transition to make. One of the, um, one of the things that uh, that I talk about, I think fairly fairly regularly, is is my my lack of no, my lack of no, that's not the right frame, my uh yeah my dislike of um of psychology's valence based categorization of emotion 
Um, so uh, I'm, I'm not a big fan of, of, of kind of the, 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 the valence or the categorization of emotions as positive or negative. Um, uh, why do I say that? And, and this isn't this the, the, again. The risk is that this might sound as though I'm I'm con, I'm kind of trying to contradict you, and again, that's not my intent. It's more of a um, just wanting to share my thoughts, I suppose. Um, because I, I, for me, it's about um, all emotion can be can be expressed um, in a constructive way or a destructive way. Um, and, uh, and and that's a framing that um, the psychologist Paul Ekman used first used in his book um, uh, called uh, oh, the name of his book has gone completely out of my head. I think it's Understanding Emotions. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for it on my bookshelf yeah. and I can't see it. Yeah. Um, uh, but he talks about emotions being you know used kind of used and applied in a constructive or destructive way, as in. So um, anger can be a hugely constructive. Um, you know, anger can bring people together. It can unify people behind a cause. It can give everyone a real sense of purpose and it can give, it can give energy and determination and um, you know, to, to overcome adversity or, or, or to, to remove or overcome obstacles that, that might be in the way of something. Um, uh, and so what the, the frame of, of how do we use anger in a constructive way would be how do we use it to to bring people together to build relationships and build collaboration similarly anger can be used in a very destructive way it can be used in a way that that breaks down relationships breaks down collaboration and, and, and doesn't and, and actually pushes people apart rather than brings people together um, and so one of the things that, that I advocate for a lot is to think about how how do we uh, express all emotion in a, in a constructive way rather than in a destructive way? Because even happiness um, can be destructive. Um, you know, I, I see many occasions where you look at something like schadenfreude, which I know is a, a German term meaning for the pleasure that you take in, in your enemy's misfortune. Um, um, but that's not very, you know, that, in that example, happiness can be quite destructive because you're laughing at someone else's expense, as it were. Um, so I, 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 I challenge, or I challenge myself, I think, um, with, with that, that positive, negative kind of valence approach from psychology. Because, yeah, sometimes I don't think it helps. Um, and, and curious to, you know, to know what, what your thoughts on that might be as well, I think. Yeah, I, I really think that there there can be some really useful um, ways of channeling the energy of negative emotions. Um, and the this kind of comes on to, so a lot of the work I do is, is about energy alignment mm -hmm. and positive psychology is a part of that piece. Um, another part of that piece, um, which positive psychology accepts, but I go a little deeper into this work is shadow work and, the how we deal with like triggers and negative emotions mm -hmm. and of course there's always a benefit with the with all of the emotions even the ones that we say we don't want there's always some kind of benefit there so as you say you know the anger and actually channeling that constructive anger into something good so the um i think one of the biggest myths about positive psychology that it's you know um everyone has to be happy all the time um mm. and you know let's let's plaster a smiley face over this and it'll all be okay um, when you actually, when you 
you chip away at the kind of um the the main concepts behind it some of the most important elements are um positive meaning and positive relationships so mm-hmm. like you say like if you're transforming if you're feeling that anger and then having the emotional intelligence to channel that into like a cause and it links to like your meaning and your purpose in life um that is very much a core concept of positive psychology so um you know who are you authentically what are your strengths and yes we want to leverage positive emotion because we know on a neuroscientific level the effect that has on the brain but we can look at all emotions and think about how we you know and if we're feeling like a lot of negative emotions that's where tools like mindfulness can come in um, and mindfulness is a big part of working with positive psychology as well and kind of allow us to be with those emotions and you know ask ourselves what we need um and you know how do we move up that emotional scale it might be that we're you know we're pretty low on that scale and we need to it could be as simple as i need to go get myself a cup of tea and that will you know could be those little small choices that we make every day Mm. um it might be you know i need to have a conversation with somebody that might be really argumentative but once I've had that conversation and I've faced into that situation, I'll then move up that emotional scale. Um, so, yeah, I think there is a real um, I, I definitely hold both. You know, there is no like positive or negative because, you know, as you say, happiness can be deconstructive and anger can be constructive. And um, mm. it's more about what we do with it and how that, you know, how that links to, like you say, our communities, our relationships and how we create positive meaning and flourishing workplaces through channeling whatever that emotion is into Mm. something something useful yeah definitely okay so i I know there were two other areas that we wanted to to talk about in particular today one of those was around authenticity um and uh and I guess for you being your your authentic self as a as a highly sensitive person, um, and also then to do something around. So if 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 our listeners in you know in a team or an organisation, how what what can they do with what they're listening, uh, with what they're listening to in this episode today? And and I think to a certain degree we've covered off some of that already when you were talking about how. Uh, the likelihood is that you know, 15 20 percent of your of your workforce or of your team are, are going to have are going to have that gift of, of high sensitivity um and and therefore they can be a potential barometer or they could be helping out with some of the emotional labor or they could be be helping out with some of that intermediary work and just sensing what what might be going on and what people might be feeling um uh, so should we do the authenticity piece first and then maybe do some of the practical applications after? Would that be okay? Yeah, that sounds good to finish with the, the practical applications. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so for you then, what was there like a process you had to go through um, to get to know yourself maybe as a, as a HSP before you felt like you could be authentic with other people or, or how did that journey to your authentic self kind of come about? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think this journey to authenticity for me started with role models um which helped me reflect on myself so I gave the example earlier of my friend Catherine she did a a TED talk a couple of years before I did mine and um she she started to role model sort of in introversion and you know the need to recharge and things like that so if I hadn't have heard her and then I think I then went on to read um read Susan Cain's book Quiet yeah 
which is all about introversion and Susan Cain did her own TED talk as well. Um, I think having those role models um, and the podcast that I first heard about HSP on gave me the opportunity to start to think differently and to stop thinking I had something wrong with me and realise I had something really right with me that was Mm. a real gift, especially coming back to like childhood stuff. Um, So that was probably the first step. So there was probably like an element of, okay, what in what, which is why I'm so passionate about speaking about it, because I've had that same ripple effect on on people that, that come and listen to me speak about this. Um, so it's having that initial like, oh, hang on, what's that they've just said? Like, that could mm. be me. Um, and then for me, um, it was then a process of trial and error. So I, you know, when I was still in corporate, it was, um, okay, right, I've, I now understand this. So what is it that I authentically need? Like, what can I test out this week? Right, maybe this week I'll test one day in London instead of two. Let's see how that feels. Let's see how that goes. Do I feel more confident? Yes, I do feel more confident when I do that. Um, okay. okay. Um, so, for example, one week I was asked to speak at a conference. There was 300 people. And, like, the old version of me would have been, like, remember, like, you have anxiety, like, you really want to do this? Whereas the new version of me was like, I'm HSP. Um, I'm going to work from home that week. I'm going to protect my sensitivities. I'm going to go to London. I'm going to go speak on that stage and then I'm going to come home. Um, So it was like it was testing things like that and seeing how it felt. Um, There is a bravery piece and there is a um, a courage piece because I did have to, um, well, not have to, chose to then speak to my boss at the time and say, look, this is like an educate, educate him on what Mm. was going on for me and I'm going to try some things I'm going to try and work a little bit differently um thankfully he was really open to that I know um some of my clients and I've had other experiences where that's not the case but thankfully he was very open to that so it was kind of a test and learn process into into authenticity and then when I left corporate um lockdown hit and lockdown for me was like I was the most thriving I have ever been the the business picked up my energy picked up my health picked up um and that really was the kind of the final sort of like aha moment like having the you know I wasn't traveling um I wasn't spending lots of time with lots of people um you know my my daily activities that you know that involved leaving the house were walking in nature um, I really thrived and that was my and speaking to a lot of other HSPs it was the same so that yeah. was my aha moment it was like okay and that was when I really understood what it was that I authentically needed and, and who I was and how, what would enable me and my business to thrive um, and then it's been I've seen a similar similar pattern with um, with a lot of HSP clients um, since then as well. So, yeah, so it was kind of the journey to authenticity, I guess, started with those kind of role models and hearing others speak about it. And then it was a test and learn process, and I did have to build my confidence up to enable me to, you know, didn't always get it right, like, you know, set a boundary, speak up about something, ask for something that I needed. Um, And, yeah, it kind of then just fell into place after that. And, um, you know, it's still an ever-evolving process. I'm still always working on myself and, you know, figuring out my boundaries and what I need as, you know, as things shift and change. Um, But that was, yeah, that's kind of how I described the journey. Wonderful. Thank you. Uh, 
and uh, I'll do a quick shameless plug. Um, uh, if the if if fair listener, you'd be interested in hearing more about boundaries. Um, highly recommend a recent episode of Kelly Swingler where we talk about boundaries in particular, and I'll put a link to that episode uh, in the show notes as well. So um, I know that I know boundaries is something that Kelly's particularly um, kind of keen on and passionate about. I don't know if you've heard of, I don't know if you've heard of uh, heard of Kelly Swingler's work, um, Gemma, but I think you might like it. Um, I haven't. I've written it down. I'll be reaching out to her and listening to the podcast. Wonderful, fab. Um, okay, so if if I put myself in in the listener's shoes, then so I'm a I'm a, a team leader, I'm a manager, or I'm a people professional um, in an organisation. Thinking, okay, so I've got I've got these I've got these people within um, my organisation who who will have the gift of, of being highly sensitive. Um, yeah, what what can we do to help them flourish? Great question. Um, allowing them to recharge, I think, is really important. Um, there's okay, so there's a few things. How do I put these into order? Um, <laughs> my brain just it's okay. Take just, your time. It's my fine. My brain good. just blurted out ten things at once. Um, so okay, so yeah, giving them additional time, and in particular, they're going to need recharge time. Um, especially if you are in a busy office and there is, you know, the phones ringing and people coming in and out and, um, it, you know, it might be depending on where, where they are in their journey. Um, they might realize they need this and ask for it. They might not realize. So, Mm -hmm. um, and this could be kind of masking as like a mental health issue or anxiety. It might just be that they are HSP and they're just overwhelmed and they just need, so allowing them um, or giving them permission sometimes even to, you know, they might want to go and work in a quiet corner of a cafe or um, in a meeting room or take some space, take some time. They may want to work from home more, um, you know, giving them a little bit more freedom and flexibility to understand what they authentically need as well. Yeah. Um, I think the awareness piece, um, like what you said about, you know, you, you use the word intermediary, which is a really great way of describing it. You know, the awareness piece that your HSPs might be firefighting a lot of stuff that you don't know about. So, you know, get to know them, get to sort of understand their their world. Um, and they can be a great asset to being that, you know, emotional barometer for the, for the team. So, um, yeah, sort of, you know, try and sort of understand that process if you can and, um, you know, encourage them to be their authentic selves. Um but, you know, that might also be a burden on them. So it could be affecting their work. I know, you know, I know for me, um, I was emotional support for so many of my team. And that was before I'd kind of built up that authenticity and boundaries. Yeah, so yeah. just, you know, ask questions, really, and um, get to understand that process and support where you can. Um, and then the other thing I would say as well is is that remembrance of like um, that additional level of sensitivity. So there may be that you need to protect them from, um, you know, protect them or like go above and beyond. So for example, you know, the whole, um, the whole dreaded, like, can I give you some feedback conversation? Um, you know, for anyone, you know, for anyone from a psychological safety point of view, for anyone, you know, hearing those words kind of triggers a bit of a, what's it going to be? Is it going to be negative? I think for an HSP, um, because we were already kind of even more on the back foot, we're already prepped for danger. Um, when we hear those words feedback, um, we can very easily switch into fight or flight mode and shut down. So with and then the feedback won't even be heard anyway. So 
from a yeah from an HSP point of view like you need to up that psychological safety even further than you would normally think because our brains are wired to the negative anyway and if someone is HSP they're going to be on that front foot looking looking for danger so like up your skills in psychological safety I would say alongside this as well. Okay wonderful thank you. All right so um Given that permission or, or that, that additional time to recharge, which could be, as you said, you know, maybe that's working in a, in a slightly different space or location. Um, I, I suppose it, it makes me think about, um, oh no, I'll come back to that point actually. Secondly then, um, the awareness um, awareness that highly sensitive people may be firefighting stuff um, already um, and they might already be doing some of the emotional labour or uh, or some of that other work. Um, asking questions on, on how... How, how how I as a manager or, or us as an organisation can can support and enable that person to thrive. Um, remembering the potential additional levels of, of sensitivity. So if there's a particularly emotionally sensitive conversation that needs to happen, thinking about how we go into that and maybe the surroundings or the environment that we have that conversation in. Um, and then really sort of dialing up that psychological safety side of things um, because the, the, the threat perception or the... Um, the you know, the the threat awareness may be may be higher. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Great summary, Phil. Thank you. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. No, thank you. Um. Okay. Um. Uh. And so as we start to bring the the episode to a, together to a close, then, um, is there someone that you would recommend that we you think we should sort of try and, and get hold of or, or try and make contact with so we can get them onto the podcast? Yeah, great question. This was this like there's so many. This was something that I um uh that I sort of struggled with really. Um so from a from an HSP perspective, um Nikki Eisenhower, she's the, the person who um initially sparked this in me. She's actually a psychotherapist, so so she okay. takes a slightly different view on this um from an HSP perspective. Um and then in the positive psychology perspective, the amazing Sue Langley, who is a world leader in positive psychology and trained at Harvard she um she's somebody in the positive psychology emotional intelligence space who I would really recommend wonderful thank you fab um and uh so I've got a, I've been building a little list as we work our way through of resources that we need to signpost to people so we've got um so we'll, we've got uh, the Emotional Badass podcast, which you mentioned, is is hosted by Nikki Eisenhower, who you mentioned just now. Um, we've got your TEDx talk, Catherine's TEDx talk. Um, we'll signpost to the to the HSP test as well, um, and uh, uh, and also I'll put a link into your LinkedIn post that you mentioned about your driving tests as well, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, and are there other resources that you would recommend to people? So any other books, videos, talks um, that you would recommend? Um, and we can put those links in the show notes as well. Yes. So um, this one probably goes without saying, but I will just mention it. The Highly Sensitive Person, it's called, is the, the yep. book by yep. Elaine Aaron. Um, then on the positive psychology front, and these have like really boosted my brain, like personally, and I've used some of these books to create programs especially for leaders that have really helped um the happiness advantage by sean acor um so sean's research is the research i replicated which i talk about in my tedx so sean gave me permission to to talk about that he's amazing so the happiness advantage um 
And I think the secret to happiness maybe is his TED talk. I can't remember the exact name, but search for Sean Acor TED talk and you'll find okay. it. Um, and then lastly, Positivity by Barbara Fredrickson. Um, Fredrickson is one of the um, top and one of my favourite researchers, as well as Sean in the positive psychology space. Wonderful. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Lovely. Um, the one uh, the one that I'm going to add, um, again, shameless plug time. Um, so when we when I went when we went through your sort of five recommendations for uh, for what organisations can do for highly sensitive people, some of those in particular, the uh, the third one about sort of asking people in terms of what, what support and, and help do they need and, and the first one around thinking about sort of the environment that people might be working in. There's a guy called Rob Baker um, and he runs a company called Taylor Thinking and in particular his focus is on one of the sort of sub-disciplines of, of positive psychology is the idea of job crafting um, and, and helping individuals to craft their job so that it works really well for them to help them thrive. So it's thinking about sort of you know, key, I don't know, processes or tasks or responsibilities that somebody may have and thinking, well, how can I craft, how can I craft the way that I do that or how I do that or the, the methods and approaches I use to help it work really well for me to help me thrive. So I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes as well because I think the idea of um, of job crafting would be something that would be really helpful for for someone who might um, have the gift of being a HSP. Um, Definitely. Before because, I moved yeah. into HR, that is something that I did. I actually, my, I had an amazing leader who actually did that with me. So yeah, I would highly recommend that from personal experience. Fab. Wonderful. Okay. Well, I'll put a link to the, to Rob's episode of the, when he came on the emotional podcast as well. Um, and I'll put a link into, to his website too. Okay. Um, so I think then, that uh, leads me to one of my final questions to say, um, or my sorry, two final questions. So if people want to get hold of you, Gemma, how would you like them to do that? So you can um, get hold of me via the LinkedIn profile. Um, I'm also on um, Instagram and Facebook. If you prefer that, I'm at I am Gemma Sandwell on Instagram and just Gemma Sandwell on Facebook. Um, feel free to um, drop me a message, comment on my posts, um, yeah, and more than happy to help or answer any questions that this episode has brought up for you. Fantastic. Thank you. And what we'll also do is put links to all of those different profiles in. So I'll put the links to your LinkedIn, Instagram and uh, Facebook profiles into the uh, into the show notes as well. So that takes me to my final question then to say, uh, Gemma, is there something else that you're thinking, feeling or would like to say? Yeah, I think I'd like to thank you. I think I'd just like to finish with saying like, at the end of the day, whoever we are, wherever we wherever we are existing, working, thriving, surviving, um, whatever organisation, business that we are, we are all ultimately human and we are all incredibly uniquely gifted. So like I just want to finish with a message to say like my my last like final word would be get to know yourself and who you are, and what it is that you need, and encourage that in others to be their authentic selves, and really by aligning to your authentic self is how you're going to, you're going to really flourish, and I feel with that there is that remembrance of like actually we're all human, and every single structure in this world is made up from humans, and you know with a dream that a human had that, um, that started it, so I think sometimes we kind of forget that, so you know, remembering that we're human, 
um, connecting with your most authentic self and encouraging others to be their most authentic selves is really what is going to help people and organisations to really flourish in this world. Fantastic. What a way to end. All right. In that case, I'll say, Gemma, thank you so much for coming on the Emotional Network podcast today. Um, and yeah, look forward to, to hearing more from you in the future. Thank you so much. Great. Thanks so much for having me, Phil. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Emotion at Work podcast. And if you got this far, you must be interested in the role that emotions have in the workplace, either within individuals, between people in teams or in organisations as a whole. So head over to the Emotion at Work hub, which you can find at community.emotionatwork.co.uk. Thanks for listening.